Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see your beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet, nobody picks him up. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Wonder Gold, the red hot soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff. I am your host. And joining me, as always, are my friends and colleagues, Anthony DeBundo and BJ Cunningham. Ten more Premier League games to talk to. Then we'll jump around Europe, pick out our best bets in the other major leagues, give out our favorite underdogs and our best bet in the Premier League. But there's only one place to start. A relegation six-pointer between Manchester United and Liverpool, Monday night football, 3 p.m. at Old Trafford, the theater of dreams. United plus 425 at home, Liverpool minus 170, the draws plus 330. I alluded to it in our last episode. Sometimes a plan just goes well. And I and before the season started, I said if, if United really, you know, shits the bed against Brighton and Brentford, which happened, you're going to get a great price to go against a Liverpool team that I just don't think or didn't think was going to be at the races yet this season. And, and they haven't been. And that's what's happened here, BJ. United at better the four to one at home. And I know they're playing Liverpool, but this is not your older brother's Liverpool from the past two seasons so far. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is if you're on social media at all today, like Manchester United has been interested, I think 17 different guys in the last seven, in the last three days, which is kind of crazy. So clearly, Ten Hag or whoever is basically saying like, hey, I can't play with the current guys that I have. I can't run my system. So now it's up for United to be in essentially scramble mode and overpay like drastically for a lot of guys. I mean, Casemiro is a big one. They're going to double his salary. They're going to pay 50 million pounds for a 30-year-old central midfielder, which is kind of crazy. But you saw against Brentford, they just they don't play well against teams that can press them. I mean, they don't have a ball controlling center midfielder. Like I've said that I don't know th- three or four times already, but they don't have it. Like they don't have a guy who can play under pressure. Scott McTominay gave one away, which ended up being a goal. And 
all four goals against Brentford were essentially off of mistakes. Like you look at the final XG, it was pretty close. I think it was 1.6 to 1.1. Like not that big of a gap. United controlled a ton of possession. A lot of that had to do with game state. But now you go play Liverpool, who I'll be honest, I would have gone the other way. I would have said I before, I'll be honest, before the Liverpool Crystal Palace match happened, and even before, you know, Thiago got injured, I was looking at taking Liverpool team total over two and a half, you know, plus 125, plus 130. Well, things have kind of changed. Now that Darwin Nunez got a red card, Firmino's questionable. So Jota's still injured. So now you have questions like who's going to be up top for Liverpool? Like, obviously, they still have Diaz and they still have Salah. But I told you about the splits with Thiago. I mean, it's, it was still very relevant. And the biggest thing about Liverpool is I know a lot of people are saying, yes, they were really dominant against Fulham and Crystal yes. Palace. And were they? Because no. And if you look at the final XG, no, they actually weren't very dominant. They were dominant in terms of possession and in terms of shots. Final XG against Crystal Palace is 1.7 to 1.5. At the end of the day, all that matters is the chances you create at the end, end of it. So in theory, they weren't, yeah. Possession-wise, they were dominant, but in terms of chances, the actual quality of their chances created, no, they actually weren't that dominant. So a 1-1 draw was actually probably the right score. So I'm passing on this one. There's no chance in hell I'm going to play United now or really ever this season unless they bring in a ton of new players. So, I mean, Liverpool is getting – they just have too many injuries right now. they got 10 guys on the injury list. you got no Thiago. You have, like I already mentioned, you have essentially three forwards that might be out. Matip's now hurt. So you're getting a lot of guys who maybe wouldn't have started for Liverpool at the beginning of the season, but are still really good players. And can they roll with a midfield of James Milner and Henderson and Harvey Elliott? I don't know for a full season. And in terms of this matchup, I don't know what's going to happen. This is just going to be chaos. I don't, I don't know which way it's going to go. Michael, it could go great. You know, United could win 2-1 and everybody could say, oh my gosh, 10 has got this thing turned around. Or Liverpool could do what they did last year at the end of the season and pace them for nothing. So I don't know. I'm just passing this. This game has just chaos written all over it. Yeah, I think you kind of made my point for me, which is I mean, yes. But at the same time, there's no way in hell I'm betting you in this current state of United. There's no way. But you're getting a good price to do it. That's the exactly when you want to buy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You're getting a great price to do it. And you said something about their midfield, right? Like, what has everyone been saying about the United problem? The, The heart of their issues is that they don't have a midfield. Well, Liverpool doesn't have one right now either. So that significant weakness for United is, is kind of muted. Like they're not going up against Tiago, right? They're, they're going to be going up against James Milner. So I, I mean, it's, it's a good number. That's all that matters is that you're getting a good number on a team that three weeks ago was rated as the fifth or sixth best team in the premier league by the betting market. Anthony, as our Liverpool fan on the podcast, what do you have to say? I'm going to push back on BJ's point about Liverpool not being fine. You know, we look at the final XG and that is true. You know, Crystal Palace, uh, you know, did end up creating one and a half expected goals. A good amount of that came late after the red card. Liverpool played 149 minutes at full strength this year. They've created 2.61 expected goals per 90. That is the most in the Prem. Against Fulham, against the newly promoted team at Crystal Palace, though. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, but I'm not, but like, let's not say the sky is falling. I mean, they're plus 1.32 XG difference per 90 when they've played teams at full strength. And yes, that's that's still Fulham and Palace. And and they're not, you know, two top teams, even though I think we're all high on Palace and then we're pretty impressed by the performance. Uh, I think we're having a very different conversation if Liverpool just scores first and wins the game. You know, we're saying, oh, they had a weird result on opening day and they took care of business at home against Palace. Uh, and they were totally dominant. And now I will agree with BJ's point about the defense. And this is something that I've talked about on this pod since we started it. Uh, and it feels like maybe we're finally getting some of it, but the defense is... A little bit vulnerable without Tiago in the lineup. When they do play Nunez, 
He doesn't do the kind of defensive work that their forwards of the past, like Firmino have done. Uh, and without, you know, a, a capable center back next to Virgil van Dyke, when they're required to start Nat Phillips, that's a big weakness. We've talked about Trent's defensive vulnerabilities, Harvey Elliott playing. He doesn't do much defensive work for a midfielder. He's much more of an attacking midfielder. So I think you, there's absolutely truth to the fact that Liverpool in its current state is going to be much weaker defensively than the numbers we saw them put up last year. And of course they've already conceded three goals. So I think I buy that, but I'm not buying that Liverpool's attack is going to be any worse. Now in this matchup, especially I am passing because again, BJ mentioned too many injuries. Uh, I would lean toward United at the current number based on my numbers, which is insane uh, because of how much, uh, you know, I've looked to bet against United in the last, in the first two weeks, but I think uh, now would be the time if you were going to buy United, it's the time to get in. But again, uh, I'm, I'm going to pass. Yeah, so re- real quick on that. I'm not saying that Liverpool, like the sky is falling, they're going to fall out of the top four. I'm saying that the sky is falling is they're nowhere close to Man City right now at their current state. And this might be a runaway for City. I mean, you know, in terms of projection, I'm with you. I have Liverpool at minus 192, United at plus 509. So, I mean, it's it's a, it's a pass. I'm pretty close me, to the market. But, yeah, I mean, we're pretty close to what the market has. So, and especially you factor in all the, the injuries for Liverpool. So, you know, wouldn't hate a look at, at maybe an over at a high price. United matches have treated me very well this season. A five to one winner. Also, like De Gea. That's I regression. Mean, first two goals were just straight De Gea. That's regression. It is regression, and that, I think that's something we need to talk about at the beginning of the season. Yep. Post shot was De Gea's worse, right? Because they were he was up there almost close to Jose Sa numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, the second goal was more just like he can't kick the ball, and that's like an, a longer term issue. We could talk about it later, but uh, yeah, that, it's unlikely De Gea is going to just toss two balls into his own net again. Yeah, it sounds like everybody here is on, in agreement that. United is the way you guys are just not brave enough to do it. Like it's, there's a lot of things here that are telling you that the price is too high. Anyways, that's enough on, on this relegation six pointer. There's another relegation six pointer. We'll get to in a little bit. Uh, 7:30 AM kickoff on Saturday morning Spurs minus two seventy at home. Wolves seven to one on the road draw plus four twenty five. It's a little bit of a letdown spot. I think for Tottenham coming off of, you know, the rousing week one win and then the crazy match against Chelsea to, that ended two two. And then Wolves are, are such a you know sleepy team so far this season that that kind of adds to like the letdown spot potential. Uh, and you're getting a big price on Wolves, but this is a pretty easy pass for me uh, in the early kickoff on Saturday. So it, it would be Wolves or nothing, but I'm just going to pass and, and toss it to Anthony for his take on, on his Spurs. Yeah, you know, I thought Spurs were okay on Sunday, and I think people overreacted to the first hour. And, and uh, I think Chelsea did some things tactically that really made them – uh, you know, outplay Spurs, the midfield superiority, Conte kind of turning back the clock, looking like vintage Conte and, and looking like at his best. Uh, and Conte made, and Antonio Conte made some adjustments to, you know, what Tuchel was doing to free up Mason Mount, what Tuchel was doing to overwhelm certain wide areas uh, and got, finally got, you know, sewn free a little bit and, you know, brought, you know, changed up the midfield a little bit. Richardson, I thought was lively. I thought Spurs were fine and for the most part. You know, they deserved no, the result. Probably not. not. Probably not. You know, no, they the didn't goals, You, could, you could say that they probably didn't deserve it. Uh, but overall, over the course of 180 minutes, I've been kind of uh, lukewarm on Spurs. I think they were they were fine against Southampton. I think people overreacted because of how good the finishing was in that game, whereas the field tilt was pretty even. And now they got you know pretty well dominated in terms of field tilt uh, at Chelsea. Now you expect that. Uh, the, the the look here for me would be toward a Wolves team total over. Uh, based on just Spurs looking a little bit leaky defensively, and I'm a little bit concerned about that uh, and, and overall, but the number wasn't good enough for me, so I'm going to be staying away here. Uh, the Wolves team total was one, minus 130. If that got down closer to minus 110, 115, I would bite. Uh, I do think they can cause some problems for Spurs, but uh, overall going to be passing here. 
All right, we'll move to the 10 a.m. kickoffs. The other relegation six-pointer, Everton, minus 105 against Nottingham Forest, plus 320, the draw. Plus 250 at Goodison Park. Uh, more transfer news from uh, Nottingham Forest. And apparently them and Everton are both going after soon-to-be former Brighton striker Neil Mopai. Uh, Everton still scoring issues. Uh, it looks like that's going to be a running theme until Calvert-Lewin comes back. However, they did look uh, much better with Amadun Onana in the middle of the field for those last 15 minutes and, and Rondon up top, which is crazy just to even say. Uh, but now Anthony Gordon and Deli Ali might be on the way out. So that, that will just add to the scoring issues from a betting perspective. It looks like a, a play on forest here is, is the way to go. Uh, you're getting a good number to take on an Everton team that is just in flux. So plus three twenty looks like a decent number for a team that was very lucky to win last week in forest. But I mean, it's just, there's, Right now, at this at this very moment, there's just not that much between these two teams. So, Forest or nothing for me. BJ, what about you? Yeah, I agree. I'm taking Nottingham Forest plus half a goal and minus 110. With all the injuries that Everton is dealing with right now, I don't think they should be this big of a favorite. You're going to be missing Calvert-Lewin, Yuri Mina, Ben Godfried, Andre Gomez, and Abelou Decore. Without Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison last year, Everton averaged one expected goal per match. Last season, when Mina was in the lineup, they only allowed 1.1. Expected goals per match. Without him, it was 1.58. Now, I understand last season they didn't have center back depth. This year, they have Tarkovsky. They have Connor Cody. But it still highlights a larger point that Everton is much better when Yuri Mina is in the lineup. And, I mean, without him against Aston, they allowed Aston Villa to create 1.7 expected goals. So, I don't expect this defense to just get drastically better without him in the lineup. Nottingham Forest, I mean, listen, they were a lot better in the second match than they were in the first. But it was a really low bar to climb. But if you take away the penalty... From West Ham, the expected goals battle was about even, but offensively, you know, Nottingham Forest did have 24 touches in West Ham's penalty area. They did have 12 box entries and 17 shot creating actions. That's much better than what happened at Newcastle. But defensively, there are still some pretty gaping problems. I mean, 32 touches in their own penalty area, 30 shot creating actions allowed. Uh, it's just, it's, it's going to be a struggle for Nottingham Forest. But then again, they're not facing an offense that has really great attackers right now. I mean, I, Solomon Rondon, you can say whatever about him, but I don't really see him creating that much in this type of match. And I mean, is Everton really going to hold a ton of possession here? Are they going to be the more ball dominant side? I mean, last season they were dead last in the Premier League in average possession. So if Forrest wants to set up very defensively and look to counter, I mean, can Everton be this ball dominant side that can break down a low block and, and create a ton of chances? I don't think so. So, um, I mean, I've Everton projected at plus 121. So I think there's a little bit of value on Forrest. Uh, plus half a goal at minus 110. Uh, Anthony, what are, what are your thoughts here, Everton and Forrest? Yeah, I would actually lean toward the over a little bit here. Uh, you know, I think what we saw in the first couple of games from both of these defenses was some major question marks. You know, Everton did a good job in the first match of defending its own penalty area against Chelsea. Uh, but I think that may, in, in hindsight, after what we saw Chelsea do to Spurs, be more about Chelsea's problems than it was Everton's great defending. And now you take Gary Mina out of that. Chelsea, again, against Spurs, struggling to get that final ball, to get that shot off in the box from clear chances. Uh, their defense conceding a ton, though, and I thought it was really evident once any Buendia came on for Villa, how easy it was for Villa to just walk right into the penalty area. Uh, and so that was a pretty big concern. I understand, you know, Everton did show some signs of life, uh, you know, with, you know, immediately after conceding, but it was kind of a fluky own goal. Villa had switched off. So I don't, I don't read a ton into that. I read a lot more into the fact that through two matches, they've conceded about 2.3 expected goals per 90. Uh, that's a major concern. 
for Everton and defensively Forest. I mean, BJ talked about it. I mean, they had two separate plays that were barred down. Then they had a ball cleared off the line that was actually should have been, I thought, a red card. And then they got a penalty that they saved. So, you know, there, there was a, a good bit of fortune that came into that Forest defense. And even going back to the first match, they easily could have lost that by, by more, just how dominant Newcastle was. So I think Forest, especially away from home here, could have some defensive issues. The biggest problem is who's scoring the goals for Everton, like BJ mentioned. Uh, so that's the only thing that would scare me a little bit. But a plus money uh, over two and a half would be the lean for me. Uh, we'll see what the Everton lineup ends up looking like come uh, Saturday, and I'll decide if I'm going to end up being on that. All right, we'll move to uh, another relegation six-pointer, Leicester City, minus 120, taking on Southampton, plus 310, the draw, plus 290. This one's taking place at the King Power and Leicester. That's a very similar market to uh, the one we just talked about between Everton and Forest. Southampton down to plus 150 to be relegated, making them the third favorite. These two defenses combined, 12 goals allowed already this season, six each, and then 6.6 expected goals allowed uh, combined between the two of them in two games. I kind of like Southampton here. I think it's similar to what I was talking about with Everton and Forest, where, yeah, Saints are bad, right? We know Southampton's bad, but Leicester, the difference just isn't wide enough for Leicester to be this big a favorite, even though they're at home. Uh, with the way they've looked, with their transfer issues, the fact that they haven't brought anyone in yet, uh, players could be leaving. So, yeah, Southampton, they are a tricky side to beat because of their press. I just, think Leicester could have more trouble with them than the market implies. So I'll be taking a shot on the Saints uh, plus 310 here. What do you have, Anthony? Yeah, I bet Southampton have a lean toward the under. I think I may end up getting there. It's gonna be my first Leicester under of the season. You mentioned it, right? Like these defenses have been bad thus far, but they haven't been as bad as the underlying or as the surface level numbers indicate. Leicester conceding four to Arsenal. Yeah, they were they got ripped open a couple of times, but a lot of that was just Gabriel Jesus magic. He, he had two over two expected goals himself. And I, I, you know, Southampton doesn't have any attacker of that quality and saints, you know, we saw them get run open a couple times by Spurs. Uh, but overall, I thought they improved defensively against Leeds in the, in the second matchup and they were at home. Uh, the thing about Leicester and the, the concerning thing here is there's only two team, three teams in the league that have averaged less than one expected goal per match thus far in attack. And we have two of them playing here. And so for the total to be as high as it is at three, uh, it's very hard for me to get to that number, given what how little we've seen from the Leicester attack and how little we've seen from this Saints attack too. So I, I lean toward the under. Of course, you know we could we could do this all year with Saints. We're going to say that they concede a ton of big scoring chances, and that's a major issue. And Leicester has set piece issues. They did concede off of a set piece already this year. But again, at a certain point, the number just gets a little too high, and we're kind of at that point here. I agree with your point, Michael, on the first thing, which is that there is not enough of a difference between these two teams to warrant. Lester being uh, this much of a home favorite. I make Lester plus 115. So willing to take the Saints at even money plus a half. All right, uh, let's move on to the team of the podcast. This is a Crystal Palace podcast, of course, plus 155 at home against Aston Villa, plus 190. The draw here, plus 230. I think this one is pretty simple. Who's the better team right now between these two teams? I, I think it's Palace. So you're getting a good number on them at home, plus 155 against uh, hmm. a Gerard team right now at this second. I think it is like, oh, I think in terms of talent, you could probably say Villa on paper should be the better team, but right now it's Palace I, and you're getting a great defensive side at home where they do their best work against an, a lumbering offensive side who sure they, they did show some signs of life against Everton, but that's not really saying much right now as, as, as we just talked about. So plus 155 on Palace, I think is, is a great number. You coming off of two really, really good performances uh, against Arsenal and Liverpool, especially defensively, 
it's just, I think they're the better side. BJ, what about you? I agree. I mean, tough schedule out of the gates for Crystal Palace, Arsenal and Liverpool. Only a minus 0.3 expected goal differential through those two matches. So pretty impressive stuff from Palace. And, you know, Crystal Palace, the reason they're going to constantly show value in the market, whether they're playing a big six side or not, is because they profile so well, both as an underdog, you saw them basically defend for their lives against Liverpool, but they're also great as a favorite, being able to control possession against smaller sides. So last season against non-big six teams, Crystal Palace averaged 1.3 expected goals per 90 and only allowed 0.94. That's pretty good. And they did a fantastic job all season long of really controlling possession and build-up play. I mean, they were top 10 and 10-plus pass sequences and sequence time. They were a top-eight pressing team by passes per defensive action, high turnovers, and pressure success rate. And that's big against Aston Villa, who last season was 17th in offensive passes per defensive action. And the first two weeks did not face good pressing teams in Bournemouth and Everton. So this is going to be a different type of animal for Aston Villa. And, you know, I've spoken about it two weeks in a row now, but Aston Villa under Gerrard, 1.2 expected goals per 90 minutes. They only had 20. They now have only had 20 big scoring chances in 29 matches with him in charge. That's not good. And now we have to go up and face a top five defense from last season who still looks just as bit as good as they did last year. And also these two teams faced towards the end of last season. It was a one, one draw, but crystal palace one on expected goals, 1.3 to one at Villa park. So, and then, of course, you know, we've said it a million times, but Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park, unbelievable. Plus 10.2 expected goal differential last season. So I'm taking Palace, draw no bet at minus 125. I think there's some good value in that. I'd play it up to minus 130. Anthony, what about your thoughts here? Our boys, Crystal Palace and Aston Villa. Yeah, so I've got these two teams very comparable. So I do have show a little bit of value on Palace being at home as well. Uh, I hate to bet against my Villa boys because I know uh, we all love Palace, but I most certainly do love Villa. And I was extremely encouraged by the performance in the last half, uh, you know, the second half against Everton. I understand it is Everton. It was at home, but I thought the way they were able to kind of uh, finally show an ability to get the ball into the final third and create scoring chances off of it was extremely encouraging. With that being said, like BJ mentioned, now they're on the road. They're up against a Palace side who has been stellar defensively great with the ball. Uh, and so overall, I think this is going to end up probably being a stay away from me. One interesting thing, you know, last year we got two and a half in this game. Now it's two and a quarter. So, you know, any value I would have looked toward the under, I bet the under when they played in the spring, uh, that is gone, unfortunately. So we'll not be playing the total in this match. If it does get any lower, I will actually look to play the over in this match. Did like what I saw, like I said, from the Villa attack and, um, you know, Palace's attack much more lively at home than it's been away from home this year. So uh, overall, I do find it interesting because, you know, Palace has the ball, but that kind of is how Villa likes to play sometimes with their ability to counter directly. So it is an interesting kind of chess match and, you know, who who does want the ball and, and all that kind of is, is why I like the under last year when these two teams play, but now the number's gone. So I'll probably end up passing here. Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. 
and Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. An interesting thing about Villa is they seem to get better when they took Philip Coutinho off and, and put Emmy Buendia on. Too. It was interesting. Yeah, Absolutely. so that's a that's an interesting call for Gerard Tap to make. All right, let's move to Fulham and Brentford now. A little London Derby for you. Fulham plus 145 at home. Brentford near two to one on the road, plus 195. The draw plus 245, very similar market to Palace and Villa. And a similar thought. I I think Brentford is the better team than Fulham here. I know it shows with when you factor in home field advantage, but I think the gap is a little wider than these odds suggest. The Bs, only 1.4 expected goals allowed so far against Leicester and Manchester United, one of which came on the road. So the defense looks like it's humming along just fine. That's second best uh, XGA only behind Manchester City. And they should also be able to handle Alexander Mitrovic in the middle of that uh, box. They have the the personnel to do it. And given Fulham's defensive issues, I, I just think this is a good spot for Brentford's offense to continue uh, trending up. So give me our Bs, baby, plus 195 on the road at Craven Cottage. BJ, what do you have? Yeah, not only a London derby, but a West London derby between Fulham and Brentford. I mean, I think this one could kind of turn into a little bit of a snoozer. I mean, we have... What we've learned from Marco Silva in the first two matches is that Fulham's going to be just fine with playing without the ball. I mean, the amount of possession they were, you know, they had a ton of possession in the championship, but through the first two matches, they have the second lowest average possession at 37%, but they do have an even expected goal differential with that little possession, which is pretty kind of impressive considering they hosted Liverpool and went and played Wolves on the road. Now against Wolves defensively, they were actually, I thought really good. They, held them to seven shots, 13 touches in the penalty area, and only 0.7 XG despite letting Wolves have about 59% possession. Since they've had so little of the ball, they do have the third most pressures in the Premier League, but their pass per defensive action is quite low, and their pressure success rate is around what the league average was last season. The thing about Brentford is they will struggle if they play against teams that can press them successfully. I mean, they were 18th in pressure success rate allowed and 19th in ball recoveries allowed. But that doesn't mean Brentford is just going to be able to play right through them or be able to dominate possession. I mean, the Bees, they were 14th in average in average possession last year, 15th in average sequence time. And listen, as much as I love Brentford, I mean, last season they were not an offensive juggernaut. I mean, they were 10th in XG, 13th in shots per 90, and 8th in big scoring chances. So a pretty average offense in the Premier League. So I'm going to go both teams to score no at plus 115. I think it's a pretty decent price for a match that I'm not sure who's going to be able to control possession. I think we have two pretty good defensive sides here. I mean, Fulham in the championship only allowed 0.87 XG per 90 minutes, which is really good. And they've made some additions, especially their defense and to their defensive midfield that actually I think improves them. So I'm going both teams to score now at plus 115 because I think it's a fantastic price. I agree. I'm on the under personally, two and a half minus 110 uh, minus 105s are out there as well. I don't 
really know why this is up from two and a quarter. I think it, you know, obviously Brentford goes out and scores four against Man United, but we already talked about that game and, and why a couple of those goals were a little bit fluky and how they kind of took advantage of the fact that United played one defensive midfielder and it was Fred and Fred got caught out of position a bunch of times and, and uh, was really what? just left, really just left the whole Again? field open. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, and they had a, a couple of beautiful counters, but I don't think Fulham is going to open themselves up in that way. You mentioned the bees. They were an average team despite dominance on set pieces. They were a very below average attacking side in open play, especially on the road. And so Fulham's ability to play without the ball, you talked about it, seven shots and about 0.7 XG. And their best chance came because the goalie ran into the defender and set up a tap in that Wolves missed. So you take that out and it's like, okay, they really didn't create anything uh, from open play or from set pieces for that matter. So Fulham being good without the ball, Fulham being a a potential early, early season under team going forward as they continue to be excellent as a, uh, a defend a defensive team with Paulina and Pereira, uh, all encouraging signs. So I, I would I played the under two and a half here. Surprised it was not two and a quarter. All right, uh, let's wrap up the Saturday matches with Bournemouth plus seven fifty against Arsenal minus two sixty. The draw plus three eighty. Uh, I got nothing here. I think if anything, it would be Arsenal's like a parlay piece, maybe with like Chelsea or something. BJ, uh, mm. what do you have? This, is, this season's gonna suck if Arsenal just keeps getting overvalued like this. I mean. This is way too high for Arsenal. I mean, yeah, they've been great through the first two matches. I mean, I mean, XG was pretty close against Crystal Palace. I mean, we all went through that, that that match was a lot closer than expected. I mean, Leicester defensively, it is what it is what it is. But Bournemouth, I mean, I don't think they were as bad as the final scoreline indicated against Manchester City. I mean, City only created 0.68 expected goals. They didn't have a big scoring chance and they didn't allow City to have a shot in their own six yard box. So like, it wasn't that bad of a defensive performance from Bournemouth. And honestly, I mean, for a newly promoted side, like they're actually pretty decent defensively. And they only, you know, they defended with the lead against Aston Villa only allowed them to create 0.9 expected goals in that in the first match. So I'm, I'm expecting Scott Parker to once again, just pack it in and play ultra defensive. And we'll see if Arsenal can break down a low block. I mean, the, the biggest thing here, I mean, I could, I could, try and say some bad things about Arsenal. I mean, there's not really much bad you can say through the first two matches. I mean, Jesus has looked awesome. Um, you know, Saliba looks great. But if you look around at other projection models, so I have Arsenal at minus 112, which I know sounds crazy. But if you look at 538, they have Arsenal at minus 140. Info Goal has Arsenal at minus 130. So sitting at minus 260, they're just overvalued. And so, you know, it, it sucks. And but I, I have to I have to take Bournemouth plus one and a half at minus one forty because I am showing value on it. So Bournemouth plus one and a half at minus one forty, and let's hope for an Arsenal one 0 win. Yeah, I just have a little bit of an issue trying to find where Bournemouth is is going to score here. Um, all right, Bournemouth, Sunday Bournemouth point point three six expected goals per match. That's fine. and that's fine. I mean, and that's it's fine. Really bad. Uh, and, have to score. And uh, they did get the two goals against Villa, one off a set piece. You know, how many set pieces are they really getting against Arsenal? That's the thing, right? Like, they just don't have the midfield, the kind of midfield that can trouble Arsenal. But again, like BJ said, I agree. I mean, I have Arsenal minus 150. I can't get them to the number that they're at. It does bring up, like, a, an interesting point, right? Like, so much in the early season is, is just, it's so much noise to kind of sort through what, like, anything's any of the numbers are actually saying, and it comes down to a lot of raw handicapping and, and just from the matchup perspective, that's why I think Arsenal is actually not a bad bet here. If you're going to lay the goal in a half or put them in a parlay, because they're going to score. And I just don't think Bournemouth is like, it's, it's what they've shown the past their first two games. I have, they don't give any indication that they're going to be able to, to put up any crooked numbers 
even though they did score against Villa twice in their opener. It just, it, it just, this looks like a terrible, terrible matchup for them uh, to be able to hang uh, with, with a team that looks like it is humming offensively. Yeah. We realistically need five matches before we have any kind of baseline on a team, especially given the early season schedule dif- differentials. And then 10 matches when you can say XG becomes a little bit more predictive going forward. So the early season, you, you know, it's like we have, okay, we have what we thought about this team coming into the season based on last year. And then we add in like one data point, two data points, and we can't overreact, right? Like the market will in certain spots, uh, but we can't, you know, overreact to just one or two games. And I think that's very true for Arsenal. You know, I mean, think about what we would have said about Arsenal, what we did say about Arsenal last year at this time when they lost to Brentford, got pasted by Chelsea and pasted by City. And they, you know, we were laughing at them at yeah. the bottom of the table. They almost got top four. You know who that reminds me of? Manchester United. That's right. Uh, who it happens, plus, it happens pretty much every big six team at some point. It's happened to Liverpool. It's happened to Tottenham. It's happens now to United. It's happened to Arsenal. I mean, and it's, you know, I mean, Chelsea at one point, you know, they were, they finished eighth one year after winning one of the titles. So it happens to pretty much every team except for Man City because they have too much money. It helps when you're owned by a nation state. All right, let's move to Sunday now. Uh, Leeds United 5-1 to one at home, hosting Chelsea, minus 190. The draw here is plus 340. Now, this is a massive step up for Leeds, who uh, got pummeled by the big six last season, uh, including three games under Jesse Marsh. Uh, City, Arsenal, and Chelsea uh, beat them 8-1 uh, in, in that crazy run that put them into the drop zone, and Chelsea beat them 3-0 in that run. That, that was a couple, couple months after Marsh took over, a couple weeks at least. So we do have some idea of how they play when they have to punch up. It's not particularly pretty. And, and I'm pretty impressed with what we've seen at Chelsea uh, so far this season. So I like uh, Chelsea minus one and a half plus 145 here. Cause I think if, if Chelsea does win and the market's telling you that they should, it, it probably will come by multiple goals considering what Leeds is, has been showing defensively. So I, I either like, you know, like I alluded to with Arsenal, I think an Arsenal Chelsea money line parlay, if you want to square out is fine, but I also like Chelsea, uh, laying a goal and a half at plus 145. Good price there. Anthony, what do you have for us, Leeds and Chelsea? Yeah, you know, that game back when they played in the spring was a little bit tricky because there was a red card in the 20th minute to Daniel James. Uh, Leeds were off to a slow start, but they were I thought they were growing into the game at that point, and it was in that, that run where they got the red card against Arsenal, the red card against Chelsea, and really never had a chance to get a result in either. Uh, and they actually, you know, held Chelsea to 1.5 expected goals and just one expected goal for the 70 minutes that they played down a man. So I do think that there is a world where Chelsea does win this match, but we have seen this time and time again with these Tuchel sides. They look to grind out results, especially away from home. And until they show me an ability to create separation and create consistent scoring chances, I'm just not going to really buy into it. Uh, Remember, Chelsea closed minus 150 against Everton just two weeks ago. Uh, and I think Leeds is a better team than Everton. I've got them projected as a better team than Everton. Uh, and so I show value here on Leeds. And I, I think Chelsea should only be about minus 145. So that's even after upgrading Chelsea off of those two performances where I thought they were pretty good. So overall, even though I now, again, have Chelsea as the third best team in the Prem, you mentioned it, Leeds also gets a bump because they have played really well, created over two expected goals against Southampton. Uh, and we're, we're clearly the better side on the opening weekend as well against Wolves. So their ability to kind of play without the ball, let the opponent have the ball and then wait for their moments to press, I think plays pretty well here in this game against Chelsea. I do expect Chelsea to dominate the possession, but again, N'Golo Conte going off with a potential injury against Spurs is a concern. Uh, and I'm going to take Leeds plus one. 
All right, uh, let's move on to the other 9 a.m. start on Sunday. That's West Ham plus 125 at home against Brighton plus 215. The draws plus 240. I'm pretty sure how this conversation is going to go. So, BJ, we'll let you kick it off. Yeah, I mean, you could say, I mean, West Ham, they were pretty un- kind of unlucky to to lose to Nottingham Forest last weekend. Uh, but this is going to be a much different type of opponent. I mean, they were able to control possession against Nottingham Forest. They're not going to be able to do that here against Brighton. I mean, defensively, I still have a lot of question marks about West Ham. Agurd is still recovering from ankle surgery. Ogbonna's questionable. They've sold the up. So who's is it we going to roll with Craig Dawson and Kurt Zuma again? Because that didn't work last year. I mean, they allowed together when they played, they allowed 1.45 XG per 90 minutes. So uh, you with Ogbonna actually in the lineup, it's 1.15 expected goals per, per 90 minutes. So he does make a big difference. What I'm worried about is what West Ham is, is going to be able to do to create anything offensively against, and they haven't, which they haven't been able to do against some of the top defenses in the Premier League. So last season against the top six defenses by non-penalty expected goals, Brighton was sixth. West Ham created 1.1 expected goals per 90 minutes against the rest of the Premier League. They averaged 1.4 expected goal per 90 minutes. Additionally, they just played Brighton on the final day of the season last year, and Brighton paced it in 3-1 and won on XG 1.7 to 0.3. And, you know, West Ham, what they do well offensively, Brighton is able to counter that. So you look last year, West Ham, number one team in the Premier League in crosses completed the penalty area. Brighton was fourth defensively. West Ham, fifth in big scoring chances created. Brighton, fourth in big scoring chances allowed. And also, West Ham's got to play a Europa Conference League qualification playoff against Viborg on Thursday. So they're it's the first leg. So I'd imagine that some of the starters are probably going to play in that one. So, uh, yeah, I love Brighton here. Uh, I only have West Ham projected at plus 154. So I like Brighton, Brighton draw no bet at plus 128. Uh, we, we're, of course, huge, huge Viborg Of fans course, we're huge Viborg fans. Uh, Action Network's parent company, Better Collective, are part owners of Viborg. So... They are 70% owners. So 70%. they are they are the owners of Viborg, pretty much. Majority owners. Up, 10 to up 1 on that. 10 to 1 on Thursday, by the way. Get in on it. Uh, Anthony, anything here? Brighton and West Ham? Yeah, I'll make it three for three. Brighton, in my projections, is a pick 'em. I've bet this match every time they've played in the last two years. Uh, I bet Brighton against West Ham at the end of 2021. I bet Brighton in both meetings last year. They cashed tickets for me both times. Uh, and the market continues to be too high on the hammers and too low on the seagulls in this matchup, especially. I agree with BJ that Brighton has actually improved considerably in defensive transition in the last year. And that was actually, I thought, the biggest improvement they made under Potter last year was their ability to prevent those kind of transition moments from really getting them. Uh, and, and I think that's come from more time in the system and more structure under Potter. And I think that is taking away what West Ham relies so heavily on for scoring. Skamaka has not impressed thus far. Antonio continues to look more like, you know, the Mikel Antonio before the breakout that he had in 2020. So I'm going to take the Seagulls. Uh, I took them plus a quarter at minus 110. I also like them on the draw no bet line at plus 125. I project Brighton at plus 105 on the draw no bet line. So I've got this pretty much a toss up. Uh, and I think at plus 125, or if you want to take the quarter of a goal, because Brighton loves a draw, you'll still win half your bet. Uh, I love the Seagulls here. Yeah, I'm on the money line. Uh, plus 215 on Brighton. They're the better team in the matchup right now. At this very moment, they are better than West Ham. The 11:30 matchup on Sunday's, you know, I guess City's first significant test of the season, considering what West Ham rolled out against them uh, in Week One. They're going to the Northeast to take on Newcastle. The Magpies plus 750 at home. City minus 275 on the road. The draws plus 400. We talked a lot last season about City unders, about how just with good teams. 
the over is always going to be a little inflated because people will see Kevin De Bruyne, Erling Holland, Phil Foden, perhaps Bernardo Silva if he sticks around, uh, Rian Mares, etc. Go down the list, and and they just think you know they're they're going to be goals in the city side. City can cover three uh, an over under of three in the first twenty five minutes of a game if they really wanted to, uh, and that usually puts some value on the under. I think it's a good bet here because of how patient Manchester City is. Like they just they are kind of you know, lumbering, they'll put you to sleep and then they'll find the right path. Uh, that's how Pep wants them to play. And I just don't think Newcastle is the team that's going to bring them out of that shell, even at home. So uh, I like to under here at three minus 115. Other than that, like I, I don't have anything to say about the money line. I think the price is still a little too low on, on Newcastle to be interesting. Uh, BJ, what do you have here? Yeah, something similar. Uh, both teams score no at uh, even money. I mean, City... Rightfully so. Massive favorite again. Um, first two matches, they've looked fantastic, especially defensively. I mean, 0.5 total XG allowed, nine shots and 17 touches in their own penalty area. Those are dominant, dominant type numbers. And I mean, this is just continuation of last season when they only allowed 0.64 non-penalty expect goals for match. We're number one in pretty much every single defensive metrics. And I mean, listen, Newcastle, they were bad offensively against Brighton. I mean, they they created 0.2 expected goals, four shots and 14 touches in the penalty area. So what do you think they're going to do against City? I mean, we've talked about it many times, but Newcastle, after the January transfer window, only averaged 1.2 expected goals per 90 minutes. I mean, their last 10 matches of the season, they only created five big scoring chances. So I mean, they got pasted by City 5-0 towards the end of last season. And City's probably going to hold 65 to 75% possession because Newcastle has shown that when they do play bigger sides, they tend to sit in defensively and they basically just send Allen State Maximum and Gamares and Callum Wilson just out on islands and counters to hope that they can create something, which that's just not going to work against City because in the other spectrum, I mean, Newcastle – even after the January transfer window, they were dead last in offensive pass per defensive action. They were the worst team at playing through pressure. Well, City was number one in passes per defensive action, and they just smother you in your own final third. So I don't see Newcastle coming out and being able to create anything of value. They faced five big six sides after the January transfer window. They only created over one expectable once. It was against Arsenal in the second to last game of the season. So I'm, I'm playing both teams to score no at plus 100. I have a projected at minus 130. So I think you're getting some good value on city getting a clean sheet or, you know, if a red card happens and then there could be some craziness. So this could be ends up being zero, zero. So um, yeah, both teams to score. No, uh, at minus one Oh five for me. And it's the classic example of not wanting to overreact to one game. And, you know, we talked, uh, I, I read off the stats. I said, wow, Newcastle was super dominant in the first matchup at home against Nottingham Forest. We, maybe we need to reassess what we think of Forest. Maybe we need to reassess what we think of Newcastle, but probably not because the reality is that they probably just had a great game and, and I think we talk on this podcast a good amount about teams who are bad favorites and good underdogs, you know, like the Palace and the Brightons of the world that we like to bet because they're, you know, they struggle a little bit. Well, I think Newcastle might kind of be the opposite, right? Uh, they've raised the floor of their team enough to the point where when they play these weaker midfields, these weaker teams, they are able to control the possession and maybe they don't create a ton of chances, but they dominate the flow. Uh, and then they go up against the bigger sides, like BJ just mentioned the stats, and they are getting absolutely trucked. I mean, the field tilt in the match against Brighton was 65% for the Seagulls, 35% for Newcastle, only 0.2 expected goals, 0.8 expected threat. I mean, it's, it's really concerning stuff uh, for Newcastle going up against these top sides because of how bad they looked against Liverpool and City last year as well. 
Uh, Jolinton Guimaraes, I like them, but you know, they've looked a little bit out of their depth in the last, you know, matches against the bigger sides. So uh, I would lean toward, toward city actually in this, in this matchup, but I'm, I'm passing here. They are a little bit inflated. Yeah. I think a funny thing happened with that city Newcastle match last season because Liverpool was just on this crazy run and everyone was trying to find out where's the, the kind of hurdle that that city's going to fall over. And, and it, everyone pointed to the Newcastle match and they were able to, just handle it with with a plum like they always do. Um, so yeah, the under for me is 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 the way to go. That wraps up uh, the Premier League for this week, and let's move to the Bundesliga. Anthony, let's start with you because you and I are kind of on similar pages here. Yeah, I'm gonna buy mines again. Augsburg burned me last week with an impressive uh, you know road win at at Leverkusen, pretty undeserved. But I'm really just tired of Augsburg as a team. Uh, they continue to score goals from nowhere. I mean, they sold their top striker and yet have continued to produce uh, enough chances to, you know, get a result. And, 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 but but you look across the board and and we look at the last 21 games. So that's from right before the Christmas break last year in the Bundesliga to including the first two games where they did beat Leverkusen on the road. They were the second worst team, except for Armenia Bielfeld, who is no longer in the Bundesliga and mines, the Bundesliga team of the podcast uh, continue to have strong performances. They didn't beat Union Berlin. It was a pretty dead game. There was almost nothing happened in the match, but those are two top six, top seven teams who are stellar defensively. And I don't expect Osberg to have the same kind of counterattacking success. They're so reliant on in this matchup against mines. There's plus one twenty out there. I make mines odds on at minus one ten. So I would take them at anything plus money in this match. Uh, yeah. I, I like mines. Again, this weekend, big surprise, but I'm going to parlay them with uh, the team that, that burned us last weekend. Bayer Leverkusen, uh, a parlay mm-hmm. plus 237 on the money line. Uh, you made the case for mines. I'm with you 100%. And then Leverkusen's taken on Hoffenheim, a very high event team. Uh, Leverkusen's defense rated out top four last year in the Bundesliga. So should be able to handle the offense from, from Hoffenheim. On the other end, uh, the opposite is kind of not true for Hoffenheim, who struggled defensively or just were mediocre last year. And this Leverkusen offense was uh, graded out as a top six side in the Bundesliga. So that parlay to me looks, looks pretty interesting at plus 237. Uh both of those numbers came down considerably after the last results, which I thought was interesting. Osberg winning, moved the market about 15 cents on mines, and Leverkusen was minus 180. They're now down to minus 150 on the money line. So you're, you're buying low on both of those kind of uh, and selling high in this situation off of a fluke result. It's just good betting hygiene. That's what that is. That's the good betting hygiene par- money line parlay in the Bundesliga. Uh, BJ, what do you have in Germany? Well, I also love mines. And if you believe in expected goals and advanced metrics, you have to take mines this weekend, but I'm going to go with Wolfsburg minus 110 is my best bet. I think it's had a little low here against a newly promoted side in Schalke. I mean, Wolfsburg was nothing special last year. They were between 10th or 12th in pretty much every single offensive metric, but they did play 13 matches without their best attacker, Lucas Mecha with him on the pitch. Their expected goal differential per 90 minutes goes up 0.4. So he's, makes quite a big difference, and he's finally healthy this season. Their first two matches, they drew with Warder Bremen, another newly promoted side, 2-2, but they won unexpected goals, 1-0.7, and then they lost to Bayern last week, 2-0, but they did create one expected goal and only allowed Bayern 1.8 expected goals. On the flip side, Schalke, you know, their first match against Cologne, they did get a red card, so you can't really put too much into it because they did allow 3.9 expected goals. Then last weekend, they drew with Gladbach, 2-2. They had a penalty in stoppage time, you take away that penalty, they only created 0.8 non-penalty expected goals. 
And Schalke really wasn't that dominant in the second division last year. I mean, they had a 0.47 XG per 90 minutes allowed, actually differential per 90 minutes. And they allowed around 1.5 expected goals per match in the second division. You know, teams coming up from the Bund- from the second division to the Bundesliga see about a 29% increase in their expected goals allowed. So that means Schalke is going to be around a, a 1.9, 1.95 expected goal per 90 allowed defense that would put them near the bottom so uh i think this is a good price on wolfsburg here i've been projected at minus 139 so love them at minus 110 would play it up to minus 122 all right uh now into spain anthony you and i are once again on the same page i'll let you kick this one off in spain yeah i'm gonna take Villarreal plus a half a goal at atletico madrid Atletico had a good opening weekend uh, result. BJ is shaking his head no at me uh, because he probably loves his Diego Simeone boys. But, <laughs> well, I guess we're going to disagree. Uh, but Virial, you know, in the second half of last season, and we, we bet them a lot down the stretch, was, one of, was the third best team in Spain for the majority of the second half of the season. And Atletico Madrid, once again, an excellent opening 3-0 win on the road at Getafe. But you look at the underlying metrics and uh, did it on about 1 and 1.1 expected goals. Uh, Alvaro Morata, the greatest finisher the world has ever seen, is back in the goals. Uh, I do not expect that to continue forever. He will not run that well. Uh, but I do think Atletico did get a little bit overvalued here. BJ and I are clearly in very disagreement because uh, I have Atleti odds, or, or excuse me, Real odds on to get a point here. So I do like the yellow submarine, our favorite team in Spain, maybe. I don't know. Who is our favorite team in Spain? Do we have one? I, I mean, it was, it was Real, uh, Real Sociedad. Then it was, Until uh, the spring when they, they yeah, were Yeah, then it was Villarreal. Then yeah, Bilbao, you know, yeah, it just, it just it rotates. We, we, yeah, we, we love them all. Um, but I'm with you. I like I like the, the money line on, on Villarreal. A good offensive team who could, who could give uh, Diego Simeone a run for his money. But I will tell you that once the Champions League comes around, I'll be all over. Uh, Atleti, once again. Uh, BJ, anything for you in Spain? Yeah, uh, I love a snoozer. In Athletic Bilbao and Valencia, both teams to score no at minus 115. So, you know, Bilbao was pretty dominant against Mallorca in their first match, 1.6 to 0.4 on XG, 0-0 draw. Last season, we talked about a lot, fantastic defensive team, fifth in expectacles allowed, third in big scoring chances allowed. And in matches that they didn't face, Real Madrid, Barcelona, or Atletico Madrid, they only allowed their opponents to create over one expected goal nine times in 32 matches. That's pretty impressive. Valencia was Horrific offensively last season, created 0.85 non-penalty expected goals per match, 10.4 shots per 90, and had the fewest 10-plus pass sequences in La Liga by quite a large margin. They got a new manager, uh, Gatsuo, who previously managed AC Milan and Napoli. He'll bring them out of a 4-4-2. He'll play some version of a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, so they'll be a little bit more threatening, a little bit more aggressive, but... I mean, they just sold their best attacking player, Guedes, to Wolves, uh, who had 11 goals and six assists for them last season. So uh, Valencia, I mean, they were they were pretty conservative. They were a decent defensive team in 11 of their 38 matches last year. One side failed to create at least one expected goal. Um, and, you know, the two times they faced Athletic Bilbao last season, they only combined for 0.9 expected goals. So at a price of minus 115 for both teams to score, no, I have a projected at minus 161. So I like the value on that. Uh, all right, let's move on to Syria. I uh, will go right back to you, BJ. Yeah, I mean, this is another spot that I've had circled for quite a long time. Torino, plus half a goal, minus 145, or draw no bet at anything plus money against Lazio. Uh, Torino, a team we loved last season, one of the more underrated teams in Syria. Uh, 
They finished 10th with a plus 9.1 expected goal differential. That was better than Lazio, who finished three spots ahead of them with a plus 7.6 expected goal differential. Torino, yes, they lost their best defender, Janielson Bremer, but they delivered a typical type Torino performance in their first match, beat Monza 2-1, 2.6 XG to 1.6. I mean, defensively last season, they were third in expected goals allowed, shots per 90 allowed, and big scoring chances allowed. That last statistic, big scoring, third and big scoring chance allowed, is key when you're facing Lazio because they are the biggest boom or bust offense <laughs> across Europe. They were second in big scoring chances last season, but 13th in shots per 90. And I'm just going to keep cursing Ciro Immobile's name until he stops finishing at this stupid, crazy rate. Lazio, 77 goals off of 55 expected last season. That's insane. It has to stop. They scored two goals off Never of six expected in the first match against Bologna, despite having 10 men. Their goalkeeper got a red card, so they have the second-choice goalkeeper. This is dumb. This has to stop. So Torino, plus half a goal at minus 145. I will be joining BJ on Torino, but it was funny. Uh, BJ texted me right after Lazio equalized to make it 1-1. Remember, they were playing down a man. It happens every uh, time. It's so and then stupid. I think it went to 10 on 10, and... He texted me, 87th minute Chiro Mobley winner is going to break me. And then I think it was the 79th that, of course, I got the goal alert. Chiro Mobile, 2-1 Lazio. It happens uh, every time. And it's so it's funny if you pull, because if you pull up the, the Serie A table on the on the FB ref, it's like everything's green. And then you just have that one sore thumb and it's Bologna's dominant performance with no points. Uh, so it's pretty funny to look at. Uh, but we will we will be all fading Lazio, at least BJ and I will. Uh, I will be betting Atalanta at home. This match last year, I remember because I bet Atalanta and lost. They were an even money home favorite. Now they're a home underdog at plus 170. Uh, I think that's a big overreaction to, oh, I mean, granted, Milan won the league, right? But in the second half of the season, Milan ran really well. And Atalanta, you know, everybody decided it was the end of Atalanta. And it may well be. Uh, but I th- still think we, until we get more evidence of that, I'm not going to bet against that. They had a plus 10 expected goal difference at home last year. Their actual goal difference at home at Atalanta's plus two. So they ran pretty poorly in terms of variance at the GWIS uh, and, and in Bergamo. And so I think this number is just a little bit out of control. I think I don't want to still be a favorite. They are not. So I took them plus 100 on the Drono bet line. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll wrap up with league. Ooh, BJ, it's all you. Yeah, let's just jump in front of a train. Lil plus one, plus 120 against PSG. I mean, Lil has had a lot of changes over the past year. A lot of players have left. They have a new manager. But this is still the team that was second in expect goals allowed and the number one team across all five of Europe's top five leagues in big scoring chances allowed. They allowed 17 big scoring chances in 38 matches. And then at one point last season, they went on a 13-match stretch without allowing a big scoring chance. That is so impressive it's it's crazy and you know Lil has kind of been a thorn in PSG's side over the past two seasons they obviously beat him by a point uh to win the league two seasons ago three out of the four meetings over the last two seasons it's been within half of an expected goal um meeting was not yeah you know the 5-1 was not but um but still you know I mean they at home Lil had a plus 10.5 expected goal differential they only allowed 0.93 xg per match so they it's, it's still I believe a good team that should be somewhere near the top six or seven in league. Uh, and I mean, I can try and poke holes in PSG all I want, but I mean, this they're way, way too dominant here in league on, but you know, there's some infighting going on, you know, Neymar and PSG are fighting with each or Neymar and uh, killing Mbappe are fighting with each other. Sergio Ramos is having to play, uh, <laughs> having to play uh, the, what do you call it? Intermediary intermediary in between the Peacekeeper. two. Peacekeeper. 
peacekeeper. Yeah, that's a good word for it. So, you know, where's the focus for PSG right now? Is it really on the field and trying to win the honor? Do they just care about the Champions League? And, and does Mbappe or Neymar just who, who cares more about who's scoring the goals? So um, I'll take low plus one or plus 120. I have PSG at minus 144. I'll jump in front of the train. But uh, I think there's some value on Lil here at home. And with that, we'll move on to our favorite part of the podcast, our underdog parlay. Man, were we close? We were close again last week, which is, uh, you know, uh, kind of just what Mitrovic the, the, missed penalty and palace tune, up a man. Exactly. The tune we yeah. sing every uh, every weekend. 150 to one, people. Yeah. It was 100. I mean, once Mitrovic missed, I was like, all right, they're not going to score, but then they almost did score. And then Palace went up 1 0, and I slacked you guys effing Mitrovic, and then you guys got mad at me. But that was just because I was still mad about you what happened Sunday. Yeah, that's had just, nothing to do, had not nothing to to do with Palace leading. No, that's that's mushing it, but you mushed it. You've le- you'll learn from that, and you're still young, so you'll learn not to do it this week when we're knocking on the door Monday because I'm starting it with Monday Night Football, Manchester United plus four twenty-five <laughs> uh, at home against Liverpool. This is just a severe overreaction uh, for a team that was rated as the fifth or sixth best team in the Premier League coming into the year. Uh, they've been terrible. Everything's going wrong for Manchester United through the first two weeks in, in terrible losses to Brighton at home away to Brentford, which they lost four nil, but we all know that they are a better team than what they just showed and who better to bring them out of, of their kind of woes, their, their dreariness than their eternal rival Liverpool um, who are dealing with several injuries, including some important ones in the midfield, which is the best place uh, or which is where Manchester United's biggest weakness is right in the middle of the field. So I actually think this is the best time for Manchester United to be playing Liverpool. As weird as that sounds, both teams will be licking their wounds. One of them is plus 425. The other one is minus 170, a prohibitive road favorite. So give me the one at board better than four to one. I think you can get them as high as plus 470 still. I think that's a fan duel, but I'll go with the consensus 425 because uh, that's where I'm assuming it's going to end up as, as we get closer to kickoff on Monday. BJ, what about you? I'm going with Cologne. Plus 225 on the road at Frankfurt. This line doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, Frankfurt last season, the Bundesliga, yes, they won the Europa League, and that's cool. But they were minus 7.4 expected goal differential in the Bundesliga. They were 12th in expected goals for. They were 13th in big scoring chances. They were ninth defensively in expected goals. This was not a, a good team. And I, I understand that, you know, Anthony Modest has moved on to Dortmund. He was a massive, massive part of Cologne's offense. But I mean, Cologne last season, I mean, they were the number one pressing team in the Bundesliga, number one in bypasses per defensive action. Frankfurt, 16th in pressure success rate allowed, 18th in ball recoveries allowed. Cologne offensively also was third in shots per 90s. Now, does that go down a little bit because Modest is gone? Yeah, sure. But, I mean, I have Cologne projected as a slight favorite on the road here. And Frankfurt just sold one of their best attackers, Philippe Kostic, to Juventus. So where is the offense and the creative midfielder that's going to create some stuff for their front man going to come from? I I don't know because he had nine assists last season. So it just doesn't really make much sense to me that Frankfurt is an even-money favorite at home. So I'll take Cologne plus 225. The ghost of Mario Goza. Yep. (laughs) Anthony, uh, what, what do you have for us to wrap up this this three-leg parlay that you'll eventually mush? Yeah, we're going to the island. Mallorca at home against Real Batiste. Batiste had a very impressive 3-0 win, but it was aided by a red card against a team that uh, we all believe is pretty terrible in Elche. And so, you know, now we get to sell Batiste after that big win. And we get to buy Mallorca on the island where they had a plus 0.2 XG difference per 90 last year. They were a, a top half team at home. It's a tough place to play. 
So plus 200, I'm willing to take a shot on the boys uh, on the island. And now uh, we'll move on to our final segment of our podcast, our favorite bets in the Premier League for match week three. Anthony, uh, let's go right back to you. Yeah, I'm going to take Brighton plus a quarter of goal, minus 110. I talked about this earlier when I bet the match. Brighton last season dominated West Ham in the second match of the season, which was actually the final match of the year in a 3-1 victory. They also played even with the Hammers. And I think the biggest improvement we've seen from Brighton in the last year has been in defensive transition. And those are areas where West Ham needs to thrive to get big scoring chances. We have not seen much from Skamaka thus far. Antonio does not look like himself either. And this attack has really struggled to create clear scoring chances. I know they did well against Forrest and didn't quite come off in terms of goals, but this market suggests that they are even or better than Brighton. And I do not believe that. So I, given I have this line as about a pick them, I will take the plus quarter goal in this matchup. I'm going to go with Crystal Palace the team of the podcast right now, plus 155 against Aston Villa at Selhurst Park, where they were really, really good last year. Uh, Palace was a top six defensive team in basically every predictive metric last year. They finished with a better expected goal differential compared to Aston Villa. And yet the market is telling us that Villa might be the better team. Maybe on paper, the talent's there, but right now Crystal Palace is, is a better team than Aston Villa, who should and have struggled to create offense against good defensive sides. So I'm going to back the Palace defense at home, plus 155. Continue to buy the Eagles. The market hasn't caught up yet. BJ, what about you? I'm going Newcastle, Manchester City. Both teams to score no at even money. Manchester City over the last two seasons has shown us that they are just a very possession dominant, slow buildup type of team. And I expect them to hold between 65 and 75% possession here against Newcastle, who, yes, they looked great against Nottingham Forest for, in week one. But then when they played a team like Brighton, who is able to control possession, who's good defensively, they really struggled. Only 0.2 expected goals, only four shots, and only 17 touches in the penalty area. So what do you think they're going to do against the best defensive side in England in Manchester City? I mean, you know, Newcastle, they faced after the January transfer window, the four, five big six sides, and they only created over one expected goal one time, and it was against Arsenal in the second to last game of the season. City paced them towards the end of last season, 5 nothing. I don't see Newcastle scoring or creating anything of value in this match. So I like both teams to score now at even money. And there you have it. Uh, another episode of Wonder Goal is in the books for Anthony DeBundo, for BJ Cunningham. Wish you the best of luck. All your bets in match week three of the Premier League. And we will see you on the other side of the weekend.